That's a clown question, bro. Hey, what's up on you? So I'm gonna kick some dirt. He gets on base. Just a bit outside. I'm not the type of player that's gonna be Johnny Hustle. If you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio, where we're talking baseball kind of whenever. I'm your host, Christianta. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, we have reached another point in the history series. We are going over the oldest team. That is on the list of the 1988 Los Angeles Dodgers. Yes, very big deal. I was, uh, I was excited to see a nice throwback team uh, in the mix. And yeah, we're... You know, I, with uh, you know Vin Scully's favorite or one of Vin Scully's uh, calls in a future game we'll be talking about is in a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. So I'm excited to get into this improbable season for the Los Angeles Dodgers. We'll start out with uh, the context of this franchise heading into 1988. So going into 88, the Dodgers went 73 and 89 in 1987. That's not good, but they also went the exact same 73 and 89 in 1986. So they were suffering back-to-back 73 win seasons in a big market. That's not very good. And by the way, in the previous year, they had gotten fourth in the NLS out of six teams. So it just wasn't looking good for the Dodgers. And on top of that, the ace from the 1987 season and future Cy Young winner, Bob Welsh, ended up leaving for the Oakland A's in a three-team trade that gave the Dodgers Alfredo Griffin, Jay Howell, and Jesse Orozco. Alfredo Griffin is a shortstop. Howell and Orozco are both relievers. So the Dodgers, you know, they had been struggling for the last couple of years, and they lost their ace. So they brought back a 43-year-old Don Sutton uh, as a free agent, which, I mean, it's not really going to be as effective. He's 43. And they signed Kurt Gibson as a free agent, which, you know, I mean, that was that was nice, I guess. But realistically speaking, this team wasn't meant to compete during the 1988 season. But they did dodge a bad start. On opening day, after Fernando Valenzuela threw a, a scoreless top of the first inning, Steve Sachs came up and looked to set the tone on the upcoming season. Dispensed with rather quickly by second baseman Steve Sachs. So in the very first pitch that any Dodgers sees in the 1986 season, Steve Sachs takes it out of the yard, but that would be just about the only Dodger contributions in that game as they went on to lose 5-1. to one. But the Dodgers still started the year with an impressive 11-4 and four record. Uh, Mike Sosha, their catcher during the first 15 games of the season, hit 474, 543, 553, 1096. And the Dodgers finished the month of April with a record of 13 and 7. They were second in the National League West, and they were just a half game behind the division leading Houston Astros. And Oral Hershiser, one of their pitchers, was very dominant at the start of the season. He went 5 and 0 in the month of April with a 156 ERA, and he was the only pitcher in the majors that month with five wins and a sub 2.5 ERA. So Oral Hershiser dominating the month of April, and that was just the sign of things to come. And as a staff, the Dodgers led the majors in ERA with a 233 during the month. They also led in FIP with a 275, home runs per nine with an 0.3, and they led the NL in F4 with a 3.3. 
And now we're on to some one-sided baseball where throughout the month of May, the Dodgers showed a mixture of dominance and ineptitude on the baseball field. So their offense was great, boasting the second best position player F war in the national league. And they also scored at least eight runs in six of their games in the month of May. And the pitching was also very good as they had a 3.39 ERA during the month. Uh, this would suggest that they uh, would, ha- that they had a very good May, but they only went 14 and 13 throughout the, uh, throughout the month. So you're wondering what happened there. Uh, the defense struggled. In fact, there was a five-game stretch between May 21st and 27th where the Dodgers made eight errors. And during this stretch, the Dodgers were in the middle of a slump. They were fed up, and uh, they were ready to take it out on the, on the New York Mets. That'll bring up Pedro Guerrero, who also has not contributed to a run. He has not scored a run or driven in run in a run in this series. That one snapped his helmet right off his head. Well, Pete's looking out there at David Cohn. And I don't know why David would be throwing at Guerrero in this situation. Well, he got a pitch hitters tight. He didn't make much That's of a right. move to get out of the way. That pitch wasn't that far inside. Besides, Pedro's a type of hitter, and we talked about it on Friday night, that you want to pitch high and tight because of his muscular upper body, and that's a difficult place for pitchers, or rather hitters who have large upper bodies, to swing the bat. And you got a situation here where, as you just said, Ralph, Pedro hadn't done any damage in this series. and Certainly wouldn't want to wake him up. No, there's no purpose there. And back inside again, two balls, no strikes. Where is Joe McGinty when you need him? Pedro hit 41 batters in one year. <laughs> Pedro staring at David Cohn again, and David staring right back at him. Well, I tell you, you can't let the hitter intimidate you by pitching inside. I believe the big problem that pitchers have is they get intimidated by some of these big guys. Certainly, Dave Winfield is intimidating. But over in the American League, for the most part, you don't find pitchers pitching inside as much. As you do in the National League. Oh, and Pedro oh he's got to get suspended. Through the he's got to get Cone. suspended for that. Barry Lyons wrestling Pedro away from Cone. That was a breaking was ball. A curveball for crying out loud. That was a curveball that Pedro really ducked into. Oh, that is serious throwing that bat at that pitcher. Really not much of a fight as everybody really went out there to keep anything serious from happening and that's a good thing. Well Barry Lyons getting a hold of Guerrero who really lost his cool and throwing that bat at Cone and it was a curveball that hit him, on, hit him on the helmet. It was not a fastball. You don't throw at anybody with a curveball. So Pedro Guerrero had had enough of how often do you see a fight where it results in the, in the announcer immediately saying he's got to get suspended <laughs> yeah i mean not even five seconds into it yeah he yeah uh, he went he went full machado there and uh yeah i mean i don't even know if the commentators talked machado about suspension. before machado was even alive yeah that's that's very true mm-hmm. 
uh, yeah, yeah, before he was alive. And uh, despite the mediocre play from the Los Angeles Dodgers, newly acquired Kirk Gibson actually had himself quite the month. He slashed 324, 391, 627 for a 1018 OPS with a 435 Woba and a 190 weighted runs created plus. And his 304 ISO, uh, isolated power, also also uh, led the National League. And his 1.7 F4 was tied with Mets legend Bobby Bonilla for first in the National League. And the Dodgers finished the month of May with a season record of 27 and 20, but the Astros, uh, but the Astros, who were their biggest competitor at the time, uh, only went 12 and 14 during the month. So the Dodgers were ahead in the division by half a game. So now we get into June, which was very much the tale of two halves. The Dodgers hovered around 500 at the start of June, starting the month with an eight and eight record. After that, they went off, winning 10 of their next 12. One of the biggest pieces for LA was backup shortstop Dave Anderson. Uh, Alfredo, Alfredo Griffin, the piece that they got for Bob Welsh, one of them, he ended up going down with an injury, and Anderson slipped right into the lineup. And through these 12 games, he slashed 351, 442, 551, 982. Kirk Gibson also did a great job, 289, 453. 474 and 927 with 12 walks and 11 hits. He actually had more walks than hits, and he hit 280. And he hit almost 300, which is crazy. Yeah. The Dodgers finished the first half of the season going 48 and 36. That gave them a two and a half game lead in the division. So now we go on to the All Star break, and Oral Hershiser was the only Dodger to make the All Star game that season. He went 13 and four. In the first half, which is, I mean, if you go 13 and four in the 80s as an automatic bid to the All Star game, you might they might be hailing you as the greatest pitcher of all time. Yeah, so exactly. You don't even need to see anything else. But to be fair, that 13 and four wasn't a fluke. He had a 2.62 ERA and 140 and two thirds innings pitched. However, multiple players on the team I feel were snubbed. Like there is no way Oral Hershiser should have been the only All Star on this team. Tim Leary one of their starting pitchers. He was the only pitcher in the National League with at the All-Star break with a 2.5-plus F4, 7-plus strikeouts per nine, and an ERA below three. That should be All-Star. And that should be All-Star worthy, in my opinion. Not to mention Kurt Gibson having the ninth-best weighted runs created plus in the majors at the break with 160, and John Shelby, one of their outfielders, having the ninth-best weighted runs created plus in the National League through the first half with 149. And did did appear in the, in the game during the eighth inning. And after retiring Kirby Puckett and Harold Reynolds in order, Jose Canseco was the last one standing between him and a 1-2-3 inning. Fans were upset with Herzog, but in a way, Kirk elected not to come. Another guy who could have come was John Shelby. He's having that kind of a year. Larkin throws to Galarraga, and Canseco is 0-4 tonight. Seven and a half, still two to one, American League. Gotta love the time when people got four at bats in an all-star game. Yeah, and there's it's the eighth inning and no relievers come out yet. Yep. Well, I mean, I looked at this, I don't think relievers really got to the all-star game back then. Yeah, literally literally like maybe just like one or two closers, and then one of them actually closes it out. Like yeah, first size pitched the eighth. It was pretty much all, I'll take only like six pitchers. 
uh, appeared for the NL in that game. Yeah, very different than uh, today. Like the the first like the first pitcher might have pitched like three innings possibly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is the first half and now on to the second half where it's time to go back to work for the Los Angeles Dodgers and on July 14th the Dodgers went into Wrigley for a rare five-game series and after taking both ends of a doubleheader they also won the third game in extras on a go-ahead single by Tracy Woodson then in game four Oral Hershiser gave up two early runs but the died but the Dodgers tied it Later on RBI from Anderson and Woodson. Uh, the game went into the bottom of the ninth, still tied, but then rain began to fall at Wrigley Field. And keep in mind, and this was before Wrigley Field had lights. And as they would debut, uh, this was before Wrigley Field had uh, lights, which those lights were going to be debuted just a month later. And the game ended as a tie uh, in this in this uh, in this game, and this led to a doubleheader the next day, making it a six-game series. The Dodgers ended up one winning both ends of the next doubleheader, and in the end, they played six games in Chicago and went undefeated. Pretty. So I'm just gonna pause. It. I'm just gonna pause it right there, Chris. According to the record, the Dodgers played 161 games. So I, that game, I think, just didn't count for their record, even if they played a doubleheader the next day. It, might, it probably was supposed to be a six-game series. Yeah, that's that's pretty confusing. Like, if you – I'm not going to spoil their record, you know, on the season, but if you look at it, they played 161 games. Yeah, that's uh... – and That's also their true. Pythagorean win-loss adds up to 161 games. And there was 162 games scheduled. And I checked through to see if there was any, like, rainout games that just they didn't play. No, 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 no. That tie is the one thing that just, like, they don't – they kept it up. There was no final – there was no official final score. If you look at, like, the – if you go on baseball reference and you look at, like, the, you know, the little lines for every single game that represent, like, the margin of difference between a win and a loss – that tie is still there, but it's just like in in gray area, and it's like split down the middle. So it's just like, it's just like, yeah, I don't know how to count this, but it did. It, it, they played it, and it doesn't count towards their record. Yeah, that's uh, it's extremely interesting. It might be another thing we might have to email Baseball Reference about. It might be <laughs> our it might be our twenty twenty one project. Yeah, last year was Jason Bartlett. This year was that one tie between the Dodgers and Cubs in 1988, right before the lights came in. Yeah, I mean, I'm totally re- reconsidering uh, this whole entire 1988 and oh, by the season. Way, so the the bottom of the ninth wasn't even played. Like the Dodgers took their at bats in the top of the ninth in a 2-2 game. They didn't score. The Cubs had a chance to walk it off. Rain started and the game never resumed. Like the Cubs didn't even have a chance to win it. Yeah, that's so that's fishy. It's very it's very weird. I don't know why it wasn't suspended. Was that, I wonder if there was ever a time where the Cubs like made up like you know Mother Nature made up them for giving them like a convenient rain delay. Uh yeah, I mean like <laughs> Yeah, uh, you 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 might think, yeah. I don't know, like I wonder if, I wonder if good, I don't know, World Series, karma. I don't know, World Series game seven, like like the, the team just has a ton of momentum that they're playing against. 
and like they just needed like this, like 20 minutes to reconsider and like yeah. you know and like reset themselves i don't know i feel like it'd be like something like that maybe your right fielder needs to just say something to the team real quick but yeah like that right fielder other... that hasn't contributed much on the field but like you sign him to a 184 million dollar contract or something like that i don't know yeah yeah like i don't know we're speaking in hypotheticals you know this is just i mean this is just we're at the point of our off season where you know our brains are just wired to create some weird baseball scenarios that'll never happen yeah it's uh that's what february does yep there's no no football going on thank god pitchers and catchers reported today oh yeah i'm so excited <laughs> i love i love pitchers and catchers even though the MLB is pretty much going at the same rate as it was yesterday. Yep. I still, I still love it. Um, so after that, uh, five Oh and one sweep tech or undefeated streak, six game undefeated streak against the Cubs. Uh, at this point, the Dodgers are running away with the division as they were eight games up on July 18th. And on August 20th, the Dodgers were riding the wave of a five-game win streak where they were clicking on all cylinders. They were losing three to two in the ninth, but Kirk Gibson hit a game-tying single, and two batters later, something pretty crazy was about to happen. One and two pitch. Right on through the catcher into the screen. Gibson comes to third. He's going to try to score. The play at the plate. He scores, and the ball game is over. Kirk Gibson on a wild pitch scores from second base. The Dodgers win 4-3. A wild pitch thrown by Joe Hesketh, and Gibson with a great piece of base running scored from second. So Kirk Gibson scores on a wild pitch to uh, walk it off four to three. Not a lot of times you see that happening. Like he wasn't even stealing. Uh, And on August 27th, Tommy Lasorda decided to pull his uh, best Pedro Guerrero impression. You know, Pedro Guerrero who had fought David Cohn or came close to it. Going to try to top him here. Tommy, he's out there as the Philly fanatic has a stuffed mannequin of a Dodger and Tommy trying to get the fanatic close. You see the physique of the, <laughs> of the mannequin. Tommy's a little bit hot, I think. As he's going to move that over now, look at him go. Now he, <laughs> he says, you don't make fun of me or my ball club. <laughs> oh, what a dilly. <laughs> they threw a ball at him. <laughs> oh, boy. How great that this happened, that this happened in the 1988 season. When I, back in like April, 
when we first started this series and I was looking through all the teams, I was like, wait, the 88 Dodgers, what was the year that Lasorda went at it with the Philly Fanatic? And I researched it. I was like, yes, like it, thank God. Yeah. And, and uh, like the year that Randy Johnson hit that dove, oh, one. Yep. Like just the, those, like those beautiful uh, viral, moments. those viral yeah. moments just landing on championship season. I feel like that was just the absolute peak of 80s baseball. Like yeah. it was a weird, like it was a weird time when you really look into the, the intricate parts of it like that. Yeah, like it, veterans, it was veterans stadium. Yeah, it was a, uh, it was one of those um, two way stadiums that had football and baseball and it had yep. turf. You got Tommy Lasorda fighting a mascot. If it was still around today, it would be viewed as the worst ba- like ballpark in baseball, like unequivocally. Yeah, no doubt. Those those types of parks stunk. Yeah. In all fairness. Um, so yeah, now we're on to all eyes on Oral. Yeah. So the Dodgers went into September with a six and a half game division lead. So I'm just gonna say if the division was wrapped up, they won it. But there was a different focus at hand. On August 30th, Oral Hershiser threw his third straight complete game and picked up his 18th win in a 4-2 victory for the Dodgers. And both runs against him uh, were scored in the fifth inning. And he, he uh, the, the, the four innings after that were scoreless. And in his next start, he pitched a complete game shutout against the Atlanta Braves, and Hershiser now had 13 consecutive shutout innings to his name. And in his next start, he looked for his 20th win on the year. With the count one and two and two out. Sets and delivers. Strike three, and he's done it. So Oral Hershiser with a complete game shutout to get his uh, his 20th win. That gave him 22 more consecutive scoreless innings. He was about halfway to uh, Don Drysdale, who set the record for scoreless innings consecutively in the famous 1968 year of the pitcher season. And his next start came on just three days rest, where he once again shut out the Atlanta Braves, and the Dodgers won one to nothing on a ninth inning walk-off. And Hershiser's scoreless streak was now at 31 innings. He was getting there to Don Drysdale. And hopefully, I mean, if he could do it, Don Drysdale is probably happy it's him because he can keep it in Dodger blue. Yeah. So could he do it again in his next start against the Houston Astros? Two and one. Popped in the air, foul, and Sosia has a play all along. He's got it, and Hershiser has his 22nd win, his fourth consecutive shutout. He has a string of 40 consecutive scoreless innings, and Tommy Lasorda and the Dodgers have reduced the magic number to four. And what a great play it was by Alfredo on the ball hit by Davis. So Oral Hershiser done it again against the Astros. He is 40 innings down. And he's only got two starts left of the year, so it's going to be he's going to have to be pretty much perfect. In his next start, he ran into some trouble in the third inning with a runner on third and one out. 
Homestead Griffin for one. They throw it away. Uribe scores to second base. Is Ernie Wilde. And the Giants take a one to nothing lead. So a ground ball that appeared it should have been a double play ball. But the throw by Sachs was not a good throw. Watch where Griffin comes across. Butler going out as Griffin came back across. And they call the interference play, and the inning is over. They call the interference play, and here comes Roger Craig. The inning is over, and take the run away, and the scoreless inning streak is still alive. And it could only happen with the Giants and the Dodgers. So a controversial call there in the third inning. Arnold Hersizer gets to keep his streak with the interference on the slide there. And with that aside, he looked to finish the game. That's it to center field and Shelby is there. He'll run it down and the ball game is over. Oral Hersheiser and the Los Angeles Dodgers shut out the San Francisco Giants. Another one. The streak was at 49 innings. Going into Oral's last start of the year, he needed nine shutout innings to tie Don Drysdale and 10 innings to beat him. And it was his last start of the year. So this would mean for him to have any chance of breaking the record, the Dodgers would have to avoid scoring for the entire game so it can get to the 10th inning. So sure enough, with this improbable possibility, we jump to the 10th inning of a scoreless ball game. It's the one-two pitch. Fly ball to right on a semi-check swing. Gonzalez, the record. All Hershiser, 59 consecutive innings, scoreless. The all-time record. So Oral Hershiser does the improbable. He breaks Don Drysdale's record. Chris, we before we go on to the playoffs, we need to talk about this, this scenario going into the game. The Dodgers had already clinched the playoffs. They knew where they were going to be. They were playing for nothing, essentially. You have to imagine they weren't even trying at the plate. Like they couldn't have been. Like someone would have been hated if if they hit a home run. Yeah, I'm. I might have to go into that game. Like, do you just like swing at every first pitch, just drive it in the ground, or you have the biggest uppercut on your swing ever? Yeah, yeah. Or like bunt. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Try to make it not look like it's on purpose. I mean, like 
it's very uh, considerable that they kind of tanked offensively. Yeah, like you've seen you've seen games before where like teams would intentionally lose to like keep a rival out of the playoffs. Like you could point to uh, game one sixty two of the two thousand eleven season with the New York Yankees. Like with you know they they botched a seven in, a seven run lead in three innings to keep the Red Sox out of the playoffs. We've seen things like that, but how often do you see like a team just not scoring? Like don't even bother getting on base. Maybe get a couple hits here and there just because. But like whatever you do, don't score because we need this guy to get this record. Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe, I mean, uh, Nolan Ryan got the single-season strikeout record in extra innings. That's a good point. It's possible that there may have not been – there may not have been some effort in the uh, ninth and tenth inning from the the Angels that year, but that's the only historical scenario I can think of. And that's only a couple innings. This is the entire game. Yeah, that's like Steve yeah. Stacks was leading off that game. Like, all right, ground ball to second base. Let's do yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Like that. Run that back. The Angels scored four runs in their game. And, you know, the Twins happened to also score four. Yeah. So, like, yeah, like an entire game. I can't think of any, any other situation like that. No. The Dodgers actually lost that game two to one in 16 innings, but it didn't really matter because what was important ended up coming to fruition and they ended up winning the division with a record of 94 and 67. Once again, that adds up to 161 games on the season. Like I said, yeah. So Kurt Gibson, a guy that they acquired as a free agent ended up winning national league MVP on the season. He slashed 290, 377, 483 for a 860 OPS. He hit 25 home runs, had 31 stolen bases and 73 walks as well as 148 OPS plus. And this was the first season in franchise history with 25 plus home runs, 30 plus stolen bases, 70 plus walks, and 145 OPS plus. I think only Matt Kemp has done it since in 2011. Oral Hershiser, as you may expect, won the National League MVP. He went 23 and eight with a- Oh, what? Cy Young. What'd I say? MVP. Uh, we didn't have co-MVPs. Oral Hershiser won the Cy Young, as you can imagine. He had a 23 and 8 record, a 226 ERA, 149 ERA plus, 15 complete games, and eight shutouts. 267 innings pitched. He led the NL in wins. He led the NL in complete games. As you can very well imagine, he led in shutouts, he led in innings pitched, and he led in batters faced with 1067. And he got sixth in the MVP vote, not first. Also, Steve Sachs had himself a season. He slashed 277, 325, 343, 668 with 42 stolen bases, and that gave him 18th in the MVP vote. Also, Tim Belcher had a great rookie season. That's a guy who uh, also played on the 95 Mariners, so he is a repeat player on this on this, uh, on this this show. Hershiser is two, right? Hershiser is two. He played for the 97 Indians. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think those are the only two. Could be wrong though. Anyway, Tim Belcher went twelve and six with a two nine one ERA, hundred sixteen ERA plus, and that gave him third in the Rookie of the Year vote. Also, Mike Marshall, uh, their right fielder, was a guy who didn't disappoint. He slashed two seventy seven, three fourteen, four forty five, seven fifty eight for a one eighteen OPS plus, twenty home runs, 
and 82 RBI. Also, Tim Leary, another starting pitcher who I mentioned earlier as an all-star snub. He went 17 and 11 with a 2.91 ERA. He tied Tim Belcher, a 115 ERA plus, 228 and two-thirds innings pitched. Also, the bullpen led the majors in ERA with a 2.35, FIP and two with a 2.79, Ks per nine with a 7.17. That'd be like last in today's MLB. Walks per nine with 2.91. And with pieces like Jay Howell, Alejandro Pena, Brian Holton, Tim Cruz, and Jesse Orozco, pretty much anything is possible. All five of those guys that I just mentioned had a sub 3.2 ERA in less than in at least 50 innings pitched. And this is a, this stat doesn't really mean anything, but I thought it was funny. The 1988 Dodgers are the only team in baseball history to have three pitchers with by the name Tim. Tim Belcher, Tim Leary, and Tim Cruz with a sub 3.3 ERA. Of course, everyone remembers when they set that record. They were having parades just for that. It didn't even matter what they did in the playoffs. Yeah, you, you know, I'm glad we mentioned Oral Hershiser's uh, scoreless inning streak because it kind of got overshadowed by this phenomenon. Yeah. And Tommy Lasorda won National League Manager of the Year. So the Dodgers had the MVP, Cy Young, and Manager of the Year on their team. Yeah, they they cleaned up at the uh, at the MLB at the awards. awards weekend awards week. So now they go into the playoffs to the National League Championship Series because this was before the expanded playoffs, and it was against the 100 win New York Mets. Yes, the New York Mets, who had won the World Series just two years two years prior looking to get back and in game one after steve Sachs got himself into scoring position early mike marshall <clears throat> had an early chance to come through for the dodgers but maybe not in just a week marshall hits a broken bat looper into right field for a base hit The Dodgers, even though they have a couple of guys who can hit them out, might have to manufacture runs in a, let's say, Cardinal-type manner of the last couple of years with a single. So the Dodgers get ahead early in game one of the NLCS. And throughout the game, Oral Hershiser and Dwight Gooden each dealt. Uh, these two were in their prime, and the game was two uh, the game was two to nothing dodgers going into the ninth and that was where oral hershiser looked to complete another once again complete game shutout mccarver ninth inning of game one two nothing los angeles and jeffries to lead off for the mets taking outside that's the 91st pitch thrown by Hershiser. This is almost a dreamlike game for Lasorda and the Dodgers to this point. On the verge of a victory and a pretty low pitch count, but Jeffries whacks it into center field for a base hit. And we say a dreamlike thing for Lasorda to this point because what he'd like to do is bring Hershiser back on three days rest Saturday. But now he's got another thing to worry about, namely the ball game. And you can see with Jeffries at first base, Woodson, who is the new first baseman for the Dodgers, can take the liberty of playing behind him. 
the tying run at the plate, and he's going to go and exploit it, and it's hit down to Woodson, who makes the play at first base. So he was playing behind him, and Jeffries figured, why not go to second? Jeffries is off the bag, Al. He thought it was a line drive. He wanders off the bag. For the moment, he's a, he's a lucky guy right now. Wow. <laughs> I would like to get Strawberry out of, out, as you said, out of the strike zone. Lined in the right center for a base head. That will score a run. The Dodger outfield very deep, and Strawberry will take advantage by sliding into second with a double. So Jeffries comes in to score to make it two to one. And the tying run is now at second base. And the Dodger infield, or outfield, backed up with Strawberry at the plate. And as Shelby surrounded it, Strawberry is able to take the extra base. I'll tell you, in fairness to the Dodger outfielders, you're playing back to prevent the double, but because they were back, that caused the double. Because Shelby had to range too far to his left, and once Strawberry saw that momentary bobble, boom, he's in the second base. And Hershiser's going to come out of the game and the ovation for Oral. And so with the right hand hitting McReynolds coming up to the bullpen for right-hander Jay Howell. As the Mets score here in the ninth, still only one out as Howell comes in, 2-1 Dodgers. Good play by Sosa. 3-1 to McReynolds, ball four. Tying run and go-ahead run on base. And now Howard Johnson comes up. Short dub, Howard Johnson. The tighter the spin, the better chance of doing it. So a fastball pitcher against a fastball hitter, and he never throws a fastball. Line to center field, and with the outfield deep, Shelby can't make the catch as Strawberry comes in to score, and McReynolds is being waved in, and the throw to Sosha. Sosha blocks the plate, but without the ball, and McReynolds is saved. And with the Dodger outfield deep for Carter, it costs him. As Shelby just falls short of coming up with it. And in a shocking turn of events, Oral Hershiser finally gives up a run, ends up with two or three charged to him, and the Mets won that game three to two. A moment. Hey, Chris. Uh, before we go on, the Mets won three to two. Very shocking turn of events there. But uh, no questions asked. I just you have your phone on you, right? Uh, yeah. All right. Can you pull up your calculator? Yep. All right. Uh, type in three forty. Three forty. Divided by. Divided by 14. 14. What's that answer? Uh, 24.3. And that is the average annual value that Fernando Tatis Jr. will be getting on his new extension. Whoa. Yeah. 
We got some breaking news over here. That that makes uh oh wow. I mean, it makes sense because uh, there's some arbitration years, so it's probably a, a little less in a, average annual value. But man, Padres are messing around. No, We've been saying it all off season, but yeah, that's uh, uh, yeah. Jeff Passan, our guy, coming through with that one. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. signs a 14 year. 300 or 340 million dollar extension with the San Diego Padres. So he's he's there until uh 2035 or 2034. Yeah, 2034. Nice. That's right. That, uh, <laughs> that's cool to see. You can hear more about that on the uh news episode that we do every Tuesday. Yeah, that'll be a the off season. And uh you know It'll just be it'll just be baseball talk when the season starts. But anyway, back to when uh, the original Fernando Tatis was playing. I think maybe not even in 1988, where the Mets won that game three to two. And then in game two, uh, this game had a near mirrored start to game one. Uh, Mike Marshall had a first inning opportunity with a man in scoring position, but the runner this time was Mickey Hatcher. This season, plagued by box, he had 10 during the regular year. As Marshall lifts a fly ball to shallow left field, here comes McReynolds, and he slides, and he can't make the play, and the Dodgers take a one nothing lead. So the Dodgers cash in on a big break. Hatcher walks on what appears to be strike three. The balk moves him to second. And then a little. So Mark, Mike Marshall drops one into the outfield and makes it a one nothing Dodger ball game. And with the Dodgers having that one nothing lead, uh, they looked to tack on in the second when Steve Sachs came up with two men on. Sachs is a key to this offense. And that's grounded back through the middle, base hit. Hamilton around third, he'll come in to score, and it's 2 nothing Dodgers. And the next batter was Mickey Hatcher. And a breaking pitch is it fair down the left of the line and into the corner. Belcher will come in to score. Sachs is being waved in by Amalfitano. Here comes a relay from Johnson. Carter's tag. No, he's safe. So the Dodgers take full control and and uh, yeah, the Dodgers were in full control as they got another run in that same inning on a Mike Marshall single and the Dodgers ended up winning that game six to three. And in game three, after Ron Darling walked back to back 
batters to begin the inning, Mike Sosha had a chance to give the Dodgers the lead. Can you just like edit it? Because you already played this video, right? Um, sort of. I'll just I'll play it again, just okay. so I keep it keep my mind right. Play, darling, trying to throw a strike after walking two hitters. Now he bunts, and it's a beauty up the first baseline. And Hernandez has to flip it and flips it by Backman. Marshall will come in to score as Backman chases it down. Shelby stops at third. And down to second goes Sosha. So the Mets very much expecting Sosha to swing away with Hernandez playing back at first base and then charging and flipping it behind Backman. And the Dodgers take advantage and lead one to nothing. So in an unlikely turn of, turn of events, the Dodgers end up getting that lead one to nothing. And the Dodgers got another run in that inning and another one in the next inning, both on ground outs. However, the Mets chipped away and the game was tied by the sixth inning. And in the top of the eighth, the Dodgers loaded the bases after back-to-back -back strikeouts to begin the inning. The next batter uh, was Mike Sharperson. Gonzalez makes it four to three, and all of this taking place with two outs. And again, another run in this game without a ball being hit out of the infield. So the Dodgers take the lead once again. This time, instead of being on being it, instead of it being on error, it's on a walk, and the Dodgers had a four to three lead, but the pitching struggled through the eighth. And after a leadoff walk, the infamous Wally Backman came up looking to tie the game. If you're a real one, you know why Wally Backman is the infamous Wally Backman. For the moment, they have Terry Lee throwing in the pen. Backman hits a drive to right center field. Shelby races back. It's by him. It dies on the warning track. The Mets tie the game. Backman has a double. So the Mets back in it, back tying it, uh, making it a four to four ball game. And the Mets ended up scoring five runs in that inning as the Dodgers used four different relievers. You know, maybe it would be different in the uh, three batter min minimum world, but the Mets ended up winning that game eight to four. And then we go into game four with the Mets leading. The series two games to one in the first inning in game four, the Dodgers quickly had two on and two out. And the batter looking to come through was John Shelby. To third, Hatcher at second, and Shelby hits a soft looper into right field for a base hit. Sachs comes in to score, so does Hatcher. And now it's Davey Johnson's turn to lament the blue pit. 
A looping single into right field, and the Dodgers break out on top 2 nothing. Number 14, the catch. So the Dodgers now up once again, getting the early lead as they usually did in that series. But the Mets took the lead in the fourth on back-to-back home runs from Daryl Strawberry and Kevin, Mc- Kevin McReynolds. And in the sixth, the Mets extended the lead on a Gary Carter triple. The Dodgers were down two and heading into the ninth and were three outs away from going down three to one in the series. John Shelby, who you've seen earlier in the game, he led off the ninth with a walk, and Mike Sosha came up as the tying run for the Dodgers. At the plate, Hernandez playing back of the runner at first, and that's ripped to right field and deep. Strawberry goes back. She's gone. Mike Sosha with 35 home runs in eight and a half years in the major leagues. And we talked about him throughout the series. Big and strong, but really a contact hitter. A man who doesn't strike out a lot and who doesn't hit very many home runs, averaging about four per season. It's the biggest of his career. It wasn't the home run. It was the walk. So... Mike Sosha ties the game, uh, making it ties the game in the ninth, making it three to three. And the game was tied and it went into extra innings. And after Alejandro Pena pitched three in, three innings in relief, Kirk Gibson came up in the twelfth inning looking to change some things. Gibson hits a high drive, a towering drive to deep right center field, and that one is gone. So he hits a home run in the 12th inning after not hitting a ball out of the infield all night long. And as Tim just said, a low ball hitter against the sinker ball pitcher. That's the only the second home run all year off Roger McDowell. The other hit by Bo Diaz of the Cincinnati Reds. But not as So Kirk Gibson gives the Dodgers the lead on a solo home run. And the Dodgers ended up winning that game by the score of four to three. And in game five with the series tied after Tim Belcher and Sid Fernandez dueled through the first three innings in the fourth inning, Rick Dempsey came up for the Dodgers with two men on. Because of the lefty Fernandez on the mound, sending Sosa to the bench, delivers here in the fourth. So the Dodgers swipe that early lead, making it two to nothing. And two batters later, Alfredo Griffin came up looking to tack on. 
that energy. Especially in this situation with a game that ends well after midnight and starts at noon. Griffin drives one to the gap in left center by Dykstra for extra base. And Dempsey comes in to score. Griffin has a double, and the Dodgers lead it 3-0 in the fourth inning. Alfredo Griffin, who hit 167 as a right-handed hitter, driving one by Dykstra. Set us all up. So the Dodgers extend their early lead. And... The Dodgers were up three to nothing, but they were not done there. In the next inning, Steve Sachs and Mickey Hatcher let off the singles, bringing up Kirk Gibson with two men on, trying to put the nail in the coffin. Three nothing Los Angeles, and the two one pitch coming to Gibson. Is hit to deep right field, and that one is gone. And Kirk Gibson hits his first home run of the game, but his second of the day, because he hit one exactly 13 hours ago at 12.27 a.m., and this one comes at 1.27 p.m. and breaks it open, six to nothing. Of the Dodgers are blowing the Mets out of the water in game five. And the Dodgers were in command. And in the ninth, Brian Holton looked to finish the game off. To shallow right center field. And Shelby comes in and makes the catch. And three of the five games have had Shelby involved in dramatic situations to close them out, especially last night and obviously in game one as well. And here, Shelby comes racing in to put it away, and the Dodgers are one victory away from the World Series. And... Uh... All, all the New York teams apparently were playing New York, New York after games back in the 80s. No originality. Or maybe the Mets were the first to do it. I don't know. But pretty interesting. So the Dodgers win game five. They need to win one of their next two games to go to the World Series. And in game six, Tim Leary struggled in, uh, in this game as he gave up four runs in five innings, but the offense was an even bigger issue as they could only muster one run against David Cohn. The teams would be going to a decisive game seven, but there was an even bigger problem lingering. Kirk Gibson, the National League MVP, left the game with an injury on both of his legs. He would be questionable for game seven and possibly the World Series if they ended up making it. And in game seven, fortunately, Kirk Gibson was able to play in this game and he hit a sack fly in the first to put the Dodgers up one nothing. And in the second, after the Dodgers had, a, had taken a two to nothing lead, Steve Sachs came up looking, came up with the bases loaded 
looking to extend the lead. Back up the middle for a finish hit. Hamilton comes in to score. Griffin being waved in. The throw to the plate, not in time. 4 nothing. So, Steve Sachs comes up big with the bases loaded. And uh, the Mets ended up with five runs in the inning, or the Dodgers ended up with uh, five runs in the inning on two Mets errors, making it a six to nothing game. However, Kirk Gibson had to leave the game early again, uh, but, we, but we know that but we do know that that does not matter when uh, Oral Hershiser is on the mound. Hershiser goes to the mound for the Dodgers, making his fourth appearance in the series. Any count. Two two pitch is hit right into the glove of Hamilton. So it takes him 29 pitches. But he escapes a first inning jam. Darling, good hitting pitcher, squibs one toward third, fielded by Hamilton, and his throw off the bag, but Hatcher makes the catch. 2 2 pitch is grounded down to Sacks. He goes to Griffin one, back to first, double play. At the end of two and a half, the Dodgers six and the Mets nothing. Got him on a breaking pitch. Fooled him and down he goes. His contract's run out and he's seeking something. Gardner hits a two bouncer to Griffin. He makes the play himself. Squib backhanded by Hershiser. One guy. Here's the one two to Magadan. Got him. Changed up on him and down he goes. And it's two strikeouts for Oral Hershiser. Becomes in postseason to left field and racing over his hatcher and he makes the catch. Postseason play. And down goes Hernandez. At the end of five and a half, six to nothing Los Angeles. To left field and deep but playable for Jose Gonzalez. At the end of six and a half, it remains Los Angeles six, New York nothing. Sacks. And at the end of seven and a half, it remains six to nothing, Dodgers. To left center field and deep and all the way back and making the catch on the run is Gonzalez. California, here we stay.
uh, it's quite the victory song the daughters got going there. What was what was the song? I don't even know, but it sounded very unfitting. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty casual. It sounded like some that like the Red Sox organist plays after they lose. Yeah, yeah, kind of interesting. Interesting, but the Dodgers win the pennant and uh the biggest contributors oral hershizer was determined the biggest con- contributor winning national league championship series mvp pitching at 24 and two-thirds innings pitch with a 109 era along with 15 strikeouts and mike sosha also slashed 364 391 545 for a 937 ops and the team as a whole had a very good 3.32 ERA. They are going on to the World Series. They're going to face the Bash Brothers in the Oakland Athletics, one of the greatest uh, teams of all time. One of them we covered, but this team was star-studded and they were battle-tested. And in game one, Kirk Gibson was out of the starting lineup for this game, so they would have had to do without him. But the offense didn't seem to have much of a problem early as Mickey Hatcher came up in the first with a man on looking to give the Dodgers the early lead. So Mickey Hatcher makes it a two to nothing Dodger lead with the two run home run, but Tim Belcher began struggling in the third. After giving up a single and two walks, the bases were loaded with two outs for Jose Canseco. He scored over 800 runs this year. And there's a drive to center. Back goes Shelby to the wall. It is gone. Grand slam home run for Jose Canseco. And look where he hit it. Over the center field fence, a line drive. It didn't get up. It didn't get down. It just got out. We talked about it. They have about five guys on that lineup with one swing can turn the game around, and you just saw it here. That was an absolute missile by Canseco, and it gave the A's a 4-2 to lead. After this, the pitchers from both sides settled down outside of a Mike Sosa RBI single in the sixth to make it 4-3. And in the bottom of the ninth, Dennis Eckersley was on for the A's. He finished second in the AL Cy Young voting and fifth in the AL MVP voting. After he retired Mike Sosha and Jeff Hamilton in the beginning of the inning, the Dodgers were down to their final out in game one. Three. If he gets on, we're going to hear some roar. Three and one. And he walked it. And look who's coming up. Good out. So, if you know baseball, you you know what happens next. We all do. Gibson works the count to 3-2. The fact that he's even, like, able to stand in the batter's box and take swings is a miracle in itself. Like, if you go back and watch the at-bat in full, he is, like, trying to basically stay alive while swinging the bat. He's basically doing it with his entire upper half. And eventually, the tying run moved to second base, and... Gibson would have to give something in a 3-2 count. 
fly ball into right field. She is gone. So Kirk Gibson hits a walk-off home run without legs off of Dennis Eckersley, the best closer in the league, and completely steals one away from the A's in one of the most timeless classic games in Major League Baseball history. And somehow they got to follow that up in game two. And for the first couple innings of the game, the Dodgers couldn't manage anything against Storm Davis, but they had it all figured out in the third. And there's a base hit to center. He faked the bunt and does it again. Well, he's a handyman with the bat. And after having had 11 during the year, it's really not a surprise to see him single to center. And he went to right and has his base hit. And Hersheiser is going to test Conseco. The throw to third. He's in there. And Hersheiser, they're going to challenge the open outfield. Even Conseco has that good arm. You saw it in a normal replay, and Hersheiser did not stop. They're going to challenge everybody. And there's the ground ball base hit to right. Hersheiser scores, and Sachs will go to third. One nothing Dodgers. center field Sachs will score stops to third in there down to second Hatcher here is Stubbs now you'll see Weiss a head first dive just missed it and then Franklin hurdling him to go to third and and watching the play all the way it was a hit and run play and when he jumps over Weiss he lands on the bag to deep left field. Back goes Parker on the track at the wall. Gone. hit a home run against the San Francisco Giants and he was upset with the opposition and he gestured to the bench. He has regretted that since the day it happened. You will notice now that on a home run he will not show even the slightest bit of emotion. Meanwhile the runners are just the other way around. Look at Stubbs. Jerry Crawford ready to call if the ball is caught. Lasorda very conservative of course. Yay. He jumps up. Can we can we get another yay for that Lasorda reaction?
let's let's see let's see what I let's see what we can do. Very conservative, of course. Yay! He jumps up. If I had a soundboard, if that would, if we had a soundboard, that would go right on the soundboard. It'd be right there with "How about that?" Yes. <laughs> also, not I couldn't go through this show without some Vin Scully storytelling, and he did it right there. Right. Yeah. With the home run, <laughs> and well, the Dodgers scored five in the third, which would be more than enough offense, as we know, for Oral Hershiser. One ball, two strikes. Got it. I don't know what it is on the Chinese calendar, but it's the year of the Hershiser, the year of the Bulldog. It certainly is. And so Earl Hershiser goes the distance. Did you expect anything less? Of course not. The Dodgers end up winning the game, and they take both ends of the L.A. part of the series in, in first, going to Oakland 2 to nothing. And now in game three, scoring wasn't exactly happening in Oaktown. The, in the fifth, the game was one nothing Oakland, but the Dodgers had a runner on second with two outs, and the batter was Franklin Stubbs. Two down, Hamilton at second. Stubbs drives one into right center. That's up the alley. It'll go to the 375 mark. Stubbs into second base with a double, and the game all tied up 1-1. And did he drill that? In fact, sitting up here, when the ball was hit, it was leaving the infield, and Canseco had not moved. And it wasn't that he didn't get a good jump on the ball. It was hit that hard. In other So Franklin Stubbs with an absolute laser of a double into the gap, tying up the game. The game went into the bottom of the ninth, tied. After Jay Howell got Jose Canseco to pop up, he then had to deal with the other bash bro in Mark McGuire. High drive up the alley in left center field, and this one is going to be So Mark McGuire hits a walk-off home run for the Oakland A's and gets them on the board in the World Series 2-1. to one. And the Dodgers still needed to win two. So now we go into game four, and the Dodgers got off to a quick start as there, were all, there was already a man on third after the third batter, and Mike Davis was up to try and drive him in. Up tonight. And it gets away at the plate, so Sachs will score. Hatcher to second, makes a turn and holds. And the Dodgers pick up a run in the first inning. 
That was a cross-up. You see Stewart and Steinbach. Uh, I don't So Mike Davis doesn't even take, need to take the bet off his shoulders to contribute. The Dodgers end up scoring four runs in this game, and they were on a wild pitch, which you already saw, an RBI ground out, an E6, and another ground out, which was kind of a weird scoring combination, uh, especially in a playoff game of a team with pretty good offense. It is just one of four games in World Series history where a team had four or more runs scored and two or less RBIs. And the Dodgers ended up winning the game 4-2 to two, uh, behind some great pitching. And now we go on to game five, but the Dodgers could clinch the whole thing. Franklin Stubbs hit a single in the first, which gave Mickey Hatcher an at-bat with a runner on. And there's a high drive into deep left field. Back goes Javier, gone. Mickey Hatcher, a two-run home run. And that Dodger bench almost feeling like, well, that's enough. Look at him all waiting for Hatcher. So Mickey Hatcher, who has had a storybook year, remember he called or had his agent call to try and get a job with the Dodgers, and he thought he was going to Albuquerque. And when the agent called back and said, you're a Dodger, he wound up going to, with the big club. Hatcher drive into deep left field. So Mickey Hatcher with his second home run of the series. He's contributing big time, and he wants the party tonight in Oakland. Later on in the fourth, Hatcher came through again with a leadoff single. And three batters later, Mike Davis, the replacement for Kirk Gibson, I believe, was looking to drive him in. Three balls, no strike. They let him swing, and a drive to right. Canseco going back. It is gone. Lasorda gambles on a 3-0 pitch. He got a fastball, and Davis, who came to the Dodgers with the reputation of hitting home runs, hits a 3-0 pitch and picks up two runs for the Dodgers. So Davis, who hit only two during the year, hits one in the World Series who hit one during the year hits two in the World Series and the Dodgers lead four to one so Mike Davis a guy who was an, a lifelong Oakland A going into the 1988 season gets it done against his former team in the World Series and the Dodgers were up 4-0 and well it was up to Oral Hershiser to keep the Oakland offense at bay pun intended Breaking ball, and he kind of side-armed him. He really got under that to give it such a big roundhouse curve. And at the end of an inning, 2-0 Dodgers. 1-0. And he lifts a fly ball to left. Hatcher is there. Sinker hit down to Griffin. He goes to Sachs, and they get the force play. 1-2. and two. Got it. Breaking ball again. So we zero in on him, and he does likewise on McGuire. Look at that. He just comes right at you with the breaking ball down. McGuire can't get it. Drive to center. Going back is Shelby. He has room and puts it away. Two and two. Got him. 
for Hershiser. That would be his third strikeout. One ball, two strikes. In there. And that's his fourth strikeout. He's now retired four in a row. That's four, now five strikeouts for Oral Hershiser. Here it comes. Good curveball. Look at the rotation, the spin on it. In a good spot, and Henderson just can't come close to it. Little dribble, a charging Alfredo gets a pretty good hop and throws out Parker. 0 and 2 to Ron Hassey. And he's badly fooled on an off speed pitch. Lifted that one, a fly ball to center. I think Carney would like to have taken that swing back. Got him on that low breaking ball. One run, one hit, two left, and at the end of eight, five two Dodgers. No balls and two strikes to Ron Hassey. Breaking ball got him looking. Eight strikeouts for Oral Hershiser. Five two Dodgers in the ninth. Got him. They've done it. Like the 1969 Mets, it's the impossible dream revisited. A fastball, nine strikeouts for Hershiser. He gives up a total of four hits, and look at the bob. It looked like he was going to be replaced, but he hung in there. Bulldog is quite a name. And meanwhile, Jose Canseco. Quietly goes back to the dressing room. The biggest single gun for the Oakland Athletics, thoroughly muffled in the series. And Mr. Oral Hershiser Sr. can finally relax for a moment. The A's, a great hitting ball club, hit 177 in the series and scored a total of 11 runs in five games. Never would have believed it unless you saw it. You'd have to attribute it to pretty good pitching. Very good. For the first time since 1981, the Los Angeles Dodgers are World Series champions. They ride the back of Oral Hershiser just like they did for the last two months of the season. And Chris, like Vince Scully said, this was the impossible dream revisited. A team that had back-to-back 73-win seasons comes out of nowhere, wins the division handily, and blows through the playoffs. Uh, yeah, very much so. And like pretty much out of nowhere, I bet, you know, it's, you can't really acquire uh, anything from, from that time, but it pr probably wasn't a lot of like newspapers or, you know, talk shows predicting Dodgers going to the playoffs, never mind winning the world series. And they just kind of dominated out of nowhere, you know, exactly. outside of maybe that championship series where they had to go to seven. Oral Hershiser, as expected, won World Series MVP. He went 2-0 in 18 innings pitched with a 1.00 ERA and 17 strikeouts. Throughout the postseason, he threw 42 and a third innings, a 105 ERA, and 32 strikeouts. Incredible play from him all postseason and through the rest of the through the end of the regular season, too. Alejandro Pena during the World Series, a reliever had five shutout innings with seven strikeouts. Also, Kirk Gibson. I normally don't do lines like this, but I mean, I got to. He slashed 1,000, 1,000, 4,000, 5,000 with one home run and two RBI. You know, usually usually you overlook people with small sample sizes in postseason series, but this might be the one guy other than Jeff Blum in 2005 where you got to include it. 
he had, he had to be up there in a win probability added too. <laughs> yeah. Mickey Hatcher probably would have won offensive World Series MVP. He slashed 368, 400, 737, 1137 with two home runs, five RBI, and one walk. Mike Marshall had an 846 OPS, and Franklin Stubbs had a 294 average. So now we get into the legacy of the 1988 Dodgers. Of course, we mentioned the improbability of them you know, winning as much as they did. They weren't supposed to go to the playoffs and they weren't supposed to beat the 100 win Mets and they weren't supposed to beat the Bash brothers uh, on the Oakland A's along with everyone else who went on to win the World Series the next year. So that was very impressive. Kirk Gibson is obviously remembered for his iconic home run. This entire seat, like anytime you reference anything that happened in baseball in 1988, it kind of just automatically goes back to that single moment. You know, him coming off the bench, like not even being able to walk I mean, if you look at the replay, he's like stumbling around the bases and then it cuts to, you know, Tommy Lasorda, who's well in his 60s at that, at that point, sprinting towards home plate. And then, you know, the MVP of the league is, is struggling to get around the bases after hitting a home run. So that was obviously the most memorable moment of, of that team and just of that era, really. And Oral Hershiser basically achieved legend status during those last two months. That 59 inning scoreless streak it still holds to this day as the record it's something we might never see again especially in a heavy offensive era in baseball and like i said before they far exceeded the expectations based on their previous two seasons heading into this one uh yeah yeah it is funny like whenever uh when we picked these teams and you said or when we picked this team and you said 1988 dodgers first image in my head is you know, accuracy on the mound with Gibson with his leaned over batting stance. I literally uh, said like this team won the world series on the back of one of the most iconic home runs in baseball history. Yeah. And like, it's the, it, you're right. It's the first image that comes in your head when you think 1988 Dodgers. Or does 1988 baseball? Yeah. 1988 in general. Yeah. And yeah, Oral Hershiser, like, <clears throat> you know, we've done the, uh, We've done the 2014 Giants. We've done the 2001 Diamondbacks. You know, uh, Oral Hershiser's postseason performance in 1988, right up there with, you know, 2014 Mad Bum, 2001 Randy Johnson, 2001 Kurt Schilling. Absolutely. It's, it, it was unbelievable. Another thing is that I think we should shine a light on the home run that Mike Sosha hit in game four of the NLCS, because if they lost that game, they go down three to one to the Mets. And most likely they're not coming back from that. That's a 100 win team. And, you know, a two, two series is much different than a three, one series. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's one of the forgotten ones. Yeah. Um, it was uh, sort of like, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't have the exact same parallel because they didn't win, but um, going back to 2001 uh, before uh, Derek Jeter did the Mr. November home run, there was Tino Martinez, who in the ninth inning with two outs, mm-hmm. hit a two-run homer to tie the game. So I'll, I'll provide a more modern example. Uh, I know that this is this is going to be very controversial, but remember when Marwin Gonzalez hit that home run in Game Two of the 2017 World Series off Kenley to tie it up, and the Astros yeah. later in the game. That's a modern example of that home run. Yeah, it, it turned it around. It made it from, you know, a, a two-game deficit in the series to a one-one. A tie a tie series um yeah, yeah it's uh 
it was very, very big. And yeah, it probably does get it was a banger overlooked for sure. Uh, because of several other things that were going on in the 1988 season for the Dodgers. But uh, does that wrap it up for the 1988 Dodgers? All right. Now we get into our favorite part of the episode. We're only picking the team. You know, we're only doing one subject a week. We already know the player we're talking about next week. And uh, now we're going to be picking the team that we're going to be talking about uh, two weeks from now. So if you don't know the process, you know, we, we originally had 30 teams. We've done 27 now. Wow. Uh, 27 up, 27 down. But, we've, gone, you know, we've gone a perfect game. Now we're going to the 10th. We're going to the 10th. Yeah, exactly. Uh, per, perfect analogy for us. Um, and, yeah, we have three teams left. Uh, we have numbers one through five and – which which have we picked already? Uh, it is we have numbers one, two, and four still available. One, two, and four. Um. So, all right, I'm gonna pick number. Uh, I'm gonna pick the number you picked last week, number one. Team number one, our third straight and final NL West team. It is fitting because. When the first two NL West teams we did were back-to-back. The last three are going to be back-to-back-to-back. We've already gone over uh, a team that this team played in the playoffs, and we're going to revisit that series with the forgotten 50 home run season of a guy, the age 38 season of a legend, and the prime of one of the forgotten pitchers of the 90s. We are talking about the 1998 San Diego Padres. There we go. There we go. And – in my mind, I think this uh, improves the chances that we're going to be ending on a World Series champion for teams. So I'm Maybe. pretty happy about that, possibly. But it, it ups the chances for sure. But the Padres, yeah, this is a this is a team we got to get into because this is the highlight year of the Padres franchise so far. Yeah. Um, and you know, it might not be for a, and it might not be that forever. You know. We, uh, we might be seeing some actual success in San Diego, but we got to get to the first and most successful team thus far. Yeah, so this was Greg Vaughn was on this team. He had 50 home runs, like I mentioned earlier. Tony Gwynn, of course, was still there. Trevor Hoffman was still there. Sterling Hitchcock was there. Kevin Brown uh, was Ken, among the players. Ken Caminiti. Ken Caminiti was on the team. I think Steve Finley was on the team. It's great. If that's true which it is, that is the third team that we've done that Steve Finley was on. Uh, the Diamondbacks, Padres, and who? Rockies. Oh, right, the Rockies. Yeah. He played uh, he, the, at age 42. He played 43 games for the 2007 Rockies. Wow. A three-teamer. Exactly. Uh, he might be the only one. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking about the – there's plenty of guys that have been on two teams. I don't know about three teams. Well, Steve Finley is going to be one of them. Steve Finley is uh, joining the club. We don't know if it's exclusive or not, but he's joining the club. So shout out to him. But that wraps it up for episode 94 of Above Replacement Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode. First of all, we'd like to thank Stathead, Baseball Reference, Fangraphs, 
and MLB on YouTube for all the content they provided uh, for us. Not personally, but you know, we went to the we went to the site. They're providing all that stuff for us. And if you uh, want to watch the videos with us, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and want to watch the videos with us, go to our YouTube channel. It's called Above Replacement Radio. And go follow us on social media. Follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta. Follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Current. And follow the show Instagram at Above Replacement Radio. Get all the show updates. And we hope you enjoyed the 1988 Dodgers episode. And we hope to see you next Tuesday where we're going to be talking all MLB news, including a, a preview of the NL Central. And uh, we hope to see you on Thursday where we're going to be talking about the great Hank Greenberg. See you then.